It is a uh, privilege for me to be here again um, for, uh, as you guys know, um, we've been preaching through um, the series called The Art of Neighboring, and today we're going to close out this sermon series, uh, The Art of Neighboring. And before we do so, before I close it out, I do want to give you a brief recap of where we've come from and then introduce you to our first, I mean, our final sermon in this series. So the past three sermons, we've been looking at Jesus Christ and his life, and we have been exploring um, certain things that Jesus Christ would do, and we would try to pattern our lives um, after him in the way in which he neighbored people. Meaning, how was Jesus Christ a good neighbor to those around him? And so we are trying to learn what is it, how did Jesus Christ neighbor and how can we pattern our lives after Jesus Christ with that respect, with, um, in, in that respect. And so we began with Jesus teaching us to love our neighbors. We talked a little, about, talked a little bit about that. Jesus Christ taught us what it means to love our neighbors. He, um, he, he explained that to his disciples. Then we observed, of course, how Jesus Christ ate with his neighbors. And you and I, we would do well if we invite unbelievers, if we're hospitable with unbelievers, if we um, invite people over our homes and show them what it is like to be a Christian. And then Jesus Christ took the time to have conversations with his neighbors. He actually spoke to his neighbors. Today we're gonna to wrap up our sermon series with Jesus Christ blessed his neighbors, and so should we. Jesus Christ blessed his neighbors, and so should we. So turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. If you do not have the Bible, we have it up here in the, in the PowerPoint. But Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34. Matthew 20, verses 29-34. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting on the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will be glorified. We pray that you would lift up your Son, Jesus Christ, before us, that we might behold his glory. And, O oh Lord, that we might learn what it means to imitate Jesus Christ. We ask that you will bless this sermon. We ask that you would bless your word as you have promised that it will not return void. We ask that you would please grant us um, an open heart open ears to listen and to receive what you have to say. We ask this grace in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Many of you are accustomed to taking the train, being on the subway. Many of you have heard someone say this. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. I don't mean to be a bother to you. My name is such and such. And I've been living in the streets for the past, say, five years. If you've taken the subway, if you've taken the New York City trains, then you've heard someone say that. If you haven't, you haven't taken the train enough, long enough. And usually, when people do that, they're requesting something. They want something. Perhaps they want food from you. Perhaps they want money. But there usually is a request at the end of this long speech that they just made. And sometimes you and I, we can grow accustomed. We can, we can go, get so used to hearing these people that are in these desperate situations. And our ears could grow numb to their requests. Sometimes we do not really have that kind of compassion for those people because we've heard it so much. One time I was on a train, and this has happened to me several times, where they would say the same speech, but sometimes, right in the middle, they'll stop. And they'll say, look, look, I was once where you were. I was once at that place where I was going to work and I would hear other people saying, I want money, and I, and I closed my ears to them. And I would have never imagined that I would be in this position myself right here, right now. I would have never believed that I would be in this humiliating position where I would actually beg other people. Usually when people say that, that really strikes me. It really strikes a chord of compassion in me. I'm like, wow, he's right. I could be in that situation. And usually when, when they say that, many times you see that's when people start digging up their pockets like, yeah, you know what? This person is actually right. I am one tragedy away from being in this person's shoes. And when you can see yourself in another person's shoe, that is when you have true compassion. To the degree that you cannot see yourself as being that person, you won't have compassion. When we read our Bibles, we recognize that the one who had the most compassion, the one who had the most pity on other people was Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth, there were people in miserable conditions. They would appeal to Jesus Christ and ask him for help. Then Jesus would help them accordingly. Without a doubt, Jesus Christ was a true blessing to his neighbors. Jesus Christ blessed his neighbors around him. And so today we're going to see that. We're going to explore this story to see how Jesus Christ was a blessing 
to his neighbor. We have a tendency at times when we see people in need, when we see people in situations to question their motives. Why is this person asking me for money? Or why is this person asking for food? And we wonder what this person is going to do with that money or with that food. Now, as we see Jesus Christ, now I'm not saying that it's not wise for us to be discerning when it comes to giving. But as we see Jesus Christ, when we watch his life, when we look at him, we realize, wow, this, this, this man, Jesus Christ, he was a true blessing to others. Now, I said that we are going through to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, um, and we've read it already. But I don't want to throw you in the middle of the story without giving you something of the context of this story. I don't want to give, I want to give you something of the context of this passage. If you look just a few verses up, verse 17, I believe I should have that on the slide, verse 17, it says, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem. Okay, where is Jesus Christ heading right now? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So Jesus Christ, earlier in verse 17, he says to his disciples, he takes 12 of his disciples aside and he says, look, guys, we are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the Lord. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles and be mocked and flogged and crucified and on the third day, he will raise again. So right here, Jesus Christ is telling his disciples, this is before meeting the blind men. Jesus Christ is telling his disciples, he said, look, we're going to Jerusalem. This is where we're going. This is the direction in which we're going. We're going to Jerusalem. And when we're going to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be lifted up. The Son of Man will be crucified. And when he's crucified, after three days, he will raise back up to life again. So Jesus Christ is on a mission over here. Jesus Christ tells his disciples where he's going. He has a direction. He has a focus. And so he takes his disciples with him, and they're going towards Jerusalem. They're going towards Jerusalem. And so right now, we find Jesus Christ in somewhere where it's called uh, Judea. And as he is going... The passage says, is, I'm, I'm sorry, Jericho. And it says, and as they went out of Jericho. So they're going to Jerusalem. They leave Jericho. And it says that a great crowd was following him. That's what's happening. So now, now Jesus Christ, of course, he's, he's popular at this time. The, uh, a lot of people are following him. Perhaps some people are following him because of the miracles that he's performing. So perhaps some people are following him because of his teaching. But Jesus Christ was able to, um, ha was able to gather a large amount of people. A lot of people were following Jesus Christ. A lot of people were there with him. It says that a large, a great crowd was following him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. Now, 
Perhaps these men were still in Jericho, in the Jericho side, or maybe they were in the, in the Jerusalem side. We know that they were very close to the border. Jesus Christ is right there. He's getting ready to leave. Jesus Christ knows where he wants to go. He knows that he's on a mission. And while he's focused, going this direction, there are some men sitting by the roadside crying out to help him. I know in New York City, we're so busy sometimes, we're so focused on our mission that we lose sight of the person next to us, that we lose sight of the person who is in need. Why are you distracting me right now? I'm trying to read a book on this train. You don't see yourself as that neighbor. You don't see yourself as ever being in that position that this person is. So surely they did something to get themselves in that position, right? And we have work. We have to go to work. And we have to get things done. We're on a mission. And in our mission, we forget the person next to us. And so these men, they were sitting right at the border. And these men knew, perhaps they didn't know, but this was the only chance that they had to encounter Jesus Christ. Could you imagine what it would be like to be blind, to not be able to see at all, and to hear of a person named Jesus Christ, Jesus, this Jesus Christ would heal different people. He would heal, um, he, he would heal the blind. He would touch the mouths of the mute and they would be able to speak. He would heal the deaf. And you hear that this man, Jesus Christ, is coming. Now, Jesus Christ may never come back here again because he's on the road to being crucified. This is their opportunity to cry out to Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, as we know, is passing by. These blind men, they did not know exactly where Jesus Christ was in the crowd. Obviously, they were blind. They just heard this large crowd, and they knew Jesus Christ was in the midst somewhere. And so they cry out. They cry out to Jesus Christ. Let's look at the request of the blind. They said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. They were calling to his messiahship. They called attention to his messiahship. They knew that this was an opportunity of a lifetime. Time was of the essence. If they miss this, they will be confined to their blindness for the rest of their lives. There is no second messiah. He alone has the power to heal in this unique way. So look at this request. They asked for mercy. He wants him to ha have pity on them. The blind were asking Jesus to look down at them and look at their misery. They were asking Jesus to have mercy on them. Let's look at the response of the crowd. How did the crowd respond? When the crowd heard these men were crying out, they responded 
to this man in disdain. They rebuked this man, it says. They did not see themselves as if they were the blind men. They did not see those two blind men as if they were their neighbors. They did not picture themselves as ever being in this condition themselves. They requested mercy and the crowd did not give mercy. But the blind men, they were persistent. The blind men were persistent. Even though they said no, even though they, the, the crowd tried to rebuke the blind men, the, the blind men responded by even saying it louder, Son of David, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. They were determined to have their needs met. You see, friends, it doesn't take much faith for us to just pray something once and expect to receive it. But when we are persistent and we are consistent in our prayers, that's when that requires much faith, right? For it's easy for us to just utter words and ask God to help us. But to be persistent is a different thing. Let's look at the response of Jesus Christ. The passage just said, then says, Jesus stopping. Let's look at the word stop. It says that Jesus stopped. That should be underlined. Jesus stopped. I mean, Jesus was on a mission. Jesus was going towards Jerusalem. But why would he stop? He stopped. He had to go into the city, but he stopped. He called them and he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? He looks at the blind men and he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? If we could look at prayer just as that, as if God is looking to us and asking us, what do you want me to do for you? Because that's what he, God delights in. God delights in granting people their request. And so Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? And they tell Jesus Christ, Lord, open our eyes. Let's look at the final thing. Jesus blessed his neighbors before we dig into the passage and see what it, what it, what it means for us. But let's see that Jesus Christ blessed his neighbors. It says that Jesus was moved with pity. You see, some of your versions might say that he was moved with compassion. Jesus is not emotionless. He cares deeply for those in need. In his pity, he healed these men. He didn't do it with a cold heart. He didn't do it in a way that was emotionless. He did it with a compassionate heart. And Jesus touched their eyes. And Jesus healed them. Now, it's so easy for us to read this story and we read what the interactions between Jesus Christ and these blind men, and it really not make a difference in our lives. But can you imagine the kind of difference it made for those blind men, men who probably, maybe they were, didn't see, maybe since their birth, perhaps. And all of a sudden they encountered this Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ touches their eyes and he opens it? Can you imagine 
what it would be like to be them, those people. Now, what I want to do to do right now is I want to look at the story from different angles. I want to ask us our, this, ourselves this question. Who are we in the story? Who are we in this story? Now, just to be clear, we are preaching through a sermon series called The Art of Laboring. And we are learning what? How Jesus Christ neighbored, right? And how you and I can pattern our lives after Jesus Christ. So naturally, we should say, how can we be like Jesus in this story? Right? We, we want to say, how can I be like Jesus Christ? How can I model my life after Jesus Christ? And perhaps you're excited about this. You're excited about modeling your life after Jesus Christ. And, and you want to bless other people as Jesus blessed people. And you were thinking, yes, I want to bless people like that. But friends, if you do not see yourself as the blind man in the story needing Jesus Christ, then you will never, ever, ever be able to neighbor, your, be able to neighbor well. Sorry. You follow? If you have not seen yourself as the blind men in the story needing Jesus Christ, then you will never be able to neighbor well. Jesus blessed his neighbors, as we should too, yes, and we will make that point. But before we get there, before we get there, I need you to stop and look at yourself in the story, not as Jesus Christ first, but as the blind man begging at the side of the street. For until you see yourself as the blind person in need of a savior, you will not be able to rightly bless this world. You see? Jesus Christ has come down in this world. And he's come down so that he could make the blind see. But not just merely the physically blind, but the spiritually blind as well. But Woodley, I'm not blind. What are you talking about? I'm not sitting in the side of the street. I'm not that desperate. You know, I mean, I see myself in need of Jesus Christ, but Jesus is like an add-on to my life. Jesus Christ is like an add-on to my already good life. And you don't see yourself as being as desperate as that blind person. And if you don't see yourself as that person, then you are not ready yet to neighbor well. And I want to read a couple of passages to you. It's not up in the slide. But I'm going to read these passages to you. And I want to see if we can explore people in the Bible, that we're able to see Christ well. The question is not whether or not I can see physically with my eyes. The question is whether or not am I, am I able to see the glory of Christ. You follow? Am I able to see the glory of Christ? Am I able to glorify in God? Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is 
fullness of joy. At your right hands are pleasures forevermore. Now, I know this passage. I read this passage a lot. The psalmist, David, says this. He says, Lord, in your presence, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Now, you and I, we know what joy is like. You and I know joy. We've experienced joy. We experience joy. There are certain things that we like, certain things that brings us pleasure, but you have never understood the fullness of your joy being met. Your joy has never reached its capacity. And what the psalmist says over here is this. He says, Lord, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Which means that in your presence, my joy is complete. I love being in your presence, Lord. I love knowing you, Lord. I love being able to see your glory. I love you, Lord. And you'll see that in the psalmist. That the psalmist will say, I love the Lord. And then you ask yourself this question. Do you see the Lord like that? It's a direct question. Do you see Jesus Christ the same way that the psalmist saw, saw Christ? That in his presence there is fullness of joy? Or do you see other things as things that are able to meet your joy more than Christ? Yes, oh man, we're, we're, we're pursuing things. I mean, we're, we're living in New York City. We, we want to pursue our careers. We want to pursue this. We want to pursue that. And those are the things that bring us most joy. But if someone were to look at your life and they were to ask you, they were to look at you and they would have said, what is the one passion that you have? I mean, in the middle of all of these things that you're doing, praise God that you're pursuing this and you're pursuing that and you're pursuing that and you're pursuing this. But in the middle of, in, in the middle of all of these things, in the midst of all of these things, where is your joy? Is your joy in Christ? Are you seeing the glory of Christ? Are you beholding the beauty and the joy of Christ? Of knowing Christ? To the degree that we are unable to see that kind of glory, it is to that degree that we are blind. To the degree that we are able to see Christ's glory for the way it is, it is to that degree that we are able to see. Paul the Apostle says these words. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Oh, that I may know him. <laughs> oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings and become like him. Paul says, look, if you want to know the great desire of my heart. Oh, Paul, but Paul, you've, you've known Christ. I mean, you've written, I mean, you've written a lot of the epistles. I mean, Paul, you've, you've seen Jesus Christ himself. I mean, you've, you've gone up to the third heaven. But the more that you taste Jesus Christ, the more that you taste him, and the more that you know him, the more that you want to know him more. 
And so Paul says that the great desire of my heart is to know Jesus Christ. Does that sound strange to you? Does that sound strange to your heart? When you're thinking about Jesus Christ, you're like, yeah, Jesus Christ is good. I mean, he's a nice add-on to my life. But I don't see myself as saying the one desire, the one passion that I have is to know him. I'll say, yeah, maybe that's one of many other passions. But to know Christ is not the single most important thing in my life. Perhaps, perhaps, these people in the Bible, they saw Christ for who he really is. And perhaps you and I, we don't really see Christ as who he really is. Perhaps we can pray and ask God to help us so that we can see and behold more and more of Christ and behold more and more of his glory. Because Christ is glorious. He is glorious. He is altogether desirable. And so if we do not want Christ, it is not with Christ, it is only with us. And so if that is you today, I want you to confess that. I want you to confess that, yes, you can't see Christ as who he really is. You see all the other things. You see the pleasures of this world. Confess that you cannot see what other people get excited about. And ask God to open your, your heart to his glory. So, are you the blind man in this story in need of Jesus Christ? Perhaps you have um, never ever understood what it means to be a Christian and you're like why is Christ so glorious and we'll get a chance to talk about that but the fact that you don't see Christ as one who is all sufficient for your need is a spiritual problem on your end number two I want to ask you a question are you the crowd do you lack the compassion that the crowd the crowd said, it says that the, the, the passage says that the crowd tried to silence the people. They, as, as Jesus Christ was walking by, the crowd says, look, they were rebuking the blind men and saying, hey, look, could you be quiet? I mean, we're, we're, we're with Jesus Christ right here. Do you lack compassion? Mm -hmm. If you read uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, it says these words. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would want have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, before when I used to read that, whenever it says do to others as you would want to do, do to you, I always used to read it as don't do what you wouldn't want done to you, basically. So don't punch your neighbor because you don't want to be punched too, right? But the passage is a little bit more positive on the positive angle. 
It says, do to others what you would want them to do to you, which means it's an active thing. Whatever you see, where, whichever position you see your neighbor in, if you put yourself in that same position, do to them as you would want them to do to you. You follow? And so the crowd, they lacked compassion. They did not have compassion. They did not look at these two blind men as their neighbors. They didn't see them as their neighbors. But they only saw them as hindrances. But let's look at Jesus Christ. Do we have the compassion that Jesus Christ had? And do we bless our neighbors like Jesus Christ? Now, this is going to get very tricky, right? Because um, Jesus ate with his neighbors, so should we. Right? Jesus talked to his neighbors, so should we. Jesus taught about um, how to be a blessing to your neighbors. So here we find that Jesus Christ, he heals his neighbors. That's kind of tricky, right? Because then you're going to be like, oh, wow, so let's get excited. Let's start this healing ministry now. Um, Jesus Christ and his ministry on earth, it was a very unique ministry on earth. It was a time where um, a lot of healing was happening, but the Lord Jesus, and even right now, even during this time, you'll find that there are supernatural things that the Lord does, and he'll heal someone that was Man, the person had cancer, and the person all of a sudden is cancer-free. Um, you hear stories of where Jesus Christ, even where, where the Lord will heal someone, this, even someone who's blind. We see a lot of those kinds of stories, but the general application is this, that Jesus Christ blessed his neighbors. Jesus Christ blessed his neighbors. Now, when we see our neighbors that are in need, Jesus Christ didn't just go up to them. Jesus Christ asked them, what do you want me to do for you? One neighbor would want one thing while another neighbor needs another thing. Sometimes we realize that there's a particular need that our neighbor has, and we are able to meet that need. And we're able to meet that, meet them not only just do it grudgingly, but we could do it with a sense of compassion. A sense of compassion. Earlier I alluded to the passage in Philippians. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says these words. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him. So which, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, oh, that I may know Christ, right? And all of a sudden he says, I want to be like him. Right? So there's a, that connection between knowing Christ and being like him. And that is why, what I'm trying to get at. The more that we know Christ, the more that we, we study Christ, the more that we, um, we, 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 we read passages related to Christ and try to memorize passages and try to seek the Lord, the more that we seek to know Christ and the more that we know him is the more that we will become like him. And so that's what we need to do. We need to see how we can cultivate this kind of heart of compassion as Jesus Christ had compassion and bless our neighbors in particular ways. There are going to be several ways in which you and I are going to be able to bless our neighbors. But I want to say this, that we should be a church 
mosaic. We should be a church where the way in which we're blessing people, unbelievers would say, I don't want anybody else to bless me. I just I want to find seek a Christian. Because the last time these Christians, they blessed me in a very unique way. And even unbelievers would look and they'll say, I want a Christian. There's something supernatural about the way in which the Christian blesses me. Number two, I want you to consider also the supernatural. Now, I'm going to be very careful here. I'm not saying that necessarily if someone is walking in the streets blind that you're going to be able to heal them. I'm not saying that. But there are ways in which you and I could pray for our neighbors. Particular ways that are... that. And, and you can ask God, God, please, I want you to do super, something supernatural in a way that meets our neighbor's need and bless them in that way. And when God does that, God glorifies himself. And we as a church could be able to, we can witness to this great God who actually blesses people. I want you to... Take out your connect cards. And I wanna I want us to bring this home. I want us to bring this home. I want to ask us a few questions. Maybe if it's you, you might want to check it out. But I, I want to go over these things uh, together with you. Number one, I want to ask us. Do we desire to cultivate a compassionate heart for our neighbors? Perhaps that's you. Perhaps you realize that you don't have compassion at all, that you're lacking in this area, that even if you do something, you do it grudgingly. I want to ask you to pray that you will cultivate a compassionate heart for your neighbor. Number two, I want you to ask yourself, will you meet particular needs of your neighbors. My neighbor has need. Your neighbor has a need. Your neighbor has a need that my neighbor doesn't have. Will you meet particular needs? So maybe that's you. Maybe you're thinking, hey, look, if possible, I will meet the needs of my neighbors. Number three, I will pray that I am blind to seeing the glory of Christ. This is very, very important. And I want to plead with God to help me. Maybe you've come here at church and you know the thing called church and you know the right thing to do. I was giving a story to some people and I, we were talking about this. Um, there's this show. There's a show called, apparently it's called uh, Married at First Sight. How many people have ever heard of that show? Married at First Sight. Some of you have heard of it. Good. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, I'm not judging anybody here for raising their hands. Um, but this show, basically, this person is these, this, this uh, I guess it's, it's an expert that pairs two people together, right? And it's like, hey, I, I, I believe I'm going to look at certain things about you, and I'm going to look at certain things about this person, and we're going to try to connect these two people together based off of, um, and see how much, perhaps to see if there's a lot of chemistry and you guys are going to pretty much get married. 
I mean, there's no dating. There's no like, hey, let me get to know this person. There's like, hey, look, you're going to be standing here at the altar and you're going to be waiting for this person. And when you see them, you're going to be like, ah, I guess I'm stuck with them. I guess I'm stuck with them. You know, and as they're walking down, and as, and as they're walking down, the closer that they get, the more you realize, ah, I'm stuck with them. And the closer that they come, you're like, man, why did I, why did I sign up for the show? Right? And, and a lot of people, they say, yeah, no, I would never do that. I would never, never, ever do that. The reason why I wouldn't do it is because I feel like I'm, I'm risking a lot. Right? I feel like, hey, this is a person that I may not really fall in love with. What if I don't fall in love with them? Now, the contract says, hey, look, you have to be with them kind of thing. I don't know how it works. But perhaps the contract, part of the contract is like, hey, you have to do things that um, show that you really do love that person. Maybe, I do wonder if when we look at God, we realize, yeah, God, you're not that glorious, right? You're like that person that, that you know, someone set me up with. And I know I'm supposed to love you, but you're not that glorious to me. You're not that great to me. But I'm going to do it because I know that the Bible says that I'm supposed to do it. I'm going to try to love you because I know that the Bible says that I'm supposed to love you. I want to ask you the question, do you see God as glorious as he really is, the glory of Christ? Do you see that? Do you see yourself as sinners, as miserable sinners in need of this Jesus Christ? Because all of us are in a desperate situation. We are all born in a way that's blind, spiritually blind, spiritually needing Jesus Christ, spiritually needing God, and yet we have rejected God. But God has been so gracious to us, even though we were blind, even though we cannot see, God says, you know what, I'm going to send my son Jesus Christ on this earth. And he's going to live this perfect life, and he's going to draw people to himself, and he's going to die on the cross and raise back up to life again. So that if you are blind, if you cannot see, you confess that blindness, you confess the fact, God, I don't even want you. I don't even see you as you ought to be seen. And God will open your eyes. He will open your heart to seeing him as he really is. Well, number four, maybe you need to reach out to someone. Maybe you are a Christian. Or maybe you are, um, have been a Christian for a while. And you realize that you need to grow in this area to seeing Christ more glorious. Perhaps you say to your own heart, if you're honest with your heart, you're like, yeah. I mean, I like Christ, but I like, I like other things better. I like this better. I like that better. Perhaps that's you. And I want to conclude with saying this, that you can never labor well without seeing Christ as who he really is. Without seeing Christ as truly glorious, you will not be able to neighbor well. Oh, yes, you're going to invite that person over to your house but you're going to do it in a very proud, arrogant way. Like, look at me. Look at my house. Look at my family. This is how we do things here. And you're not going to do it in a sense of humility. Like, look, this is us in need of God's grace, and this is how God has been kind to me, and let me extend the same kind of favor to you. Ultimately, friends, we are called to bring other people. As we're wrapping this sermon up, this sermon series, I want you to be, to be reminded of the calling, the ultimate calling. 
You see, Jesus Christ healed people. He healed the blind. He did all these things. But his ultimate goal was to bring salvation to people. His ultimate goal was to bring people spiritual sight. And as we go out and we neighbor people, I don't want us to simply just be friends with people and say, hey, look, man, we're good friends with, with our neighbors. But I want the ultimate goal to be their salvation. If it doesn't get there, okay, that, doesn't, that shouldn't deter you from being a good neighbor. Yes, you should still be a good neighbor. But all of our ultimate goals should be to rescue people from their spiritual blindness and see them be rescued by Jesus Christ. Amen.